Welcome to another episode of Hear Her Sports, where you meet phenomenal female athletes doing some really amazing and adventurous stuff. I'm host and producer Elizabeth Emery. This week, I'm very happy to welcome climber, mountaineer, photographer, and all-around badass Rebecca Ross. She recently won the McNeil Knot Award, which she will be using for an expedition in Mongolia. Before that, she has other climbs planned, including one in the Republic of Georgia. What's exciting for me about this episode is how Rebecca has jumped right into this sport that she discovered only a couple years ago, how she has taken the lead role in many climbs, and how she knows what she wants and goes after it by ignoring discomfort and breaking through her fears. Hello, Rebecca. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm honored to be here. Rebecca, could you start our conversation with an introduction to your climbing? Yeah, so um, I've always been adventurous. Um, I grew up in an area that um, allowed me to just go out and explore. But it really actually wasn't until two years ago that I really got got into all these sports. I went to grad school uh, two years ago and I finished and it just really burnt me out. Um, I was just, I was just tired and I was tired of just being inside all day. And so I discovered this program called BSEP. It's a basic climbing education program offered through the Mazamas and it's two months. I took it and I just, I fell in love with climbing. I fell in love with mountaineering and climbing and, um, it just kind of went, went on from there. Yeah, I mean, from what I've read, it seems like you discovered climbing and mountaineering pretty recently and rather randomly, and you just took to it 100% and have done whatever it takes to, you know, to make it your life. Is that really true? Yeah, yeah you know, um, I was actually mortified of heights. And taking this course, you know, they're, they're teaching you how to rappel and climb and, you know, climb rock and mountains. And, you know, it was so out of my comfort zone that I, I just embraced it. I'm like, you know what, what better way to get over my fears than just to do it. And so I had, I had no plans on what this course was going to do for me. I just, for me, I was kind of treating it like, like nature therapy. Um, I was outdoors. I was with people who loved the outdoors. I'm like, this is great. And then once I finished, I realized that I knew that I didn't quite know enough. <laughs> so I knew enough to kind of um, be a risk to myself because it was just an, an introduction pr- a class. And so I'm like, you know what? I kind of wanted, I, want, I kind of want to climb harder mountains. I want to do more. And so from that, I decided, you know what? To do this, I need to know more. I need to, I need to know the risk and, and um, safety. And so I, I signed up for an airy course, and I got certified for um, just avalanche um, safety. And I took that. And then I took some other uh, courses. I took a two-day trad course with She Moves Mountains. And I just, you know, I, I climbed with friends and I climbed with the Mazamas and I climbed with enough people to get experience on just learning more. What was the attraction? The attraction was really, um, it was really to push myself. You know, I, I had that ingrained fear in me, like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm, I'm climbing mountains. I'm, I, you know, I'm, this is, this is a dangerous sport. <laughs> and so I just kind of wanted to see, you know, how far, how far I could go out of my, out of my comfort zone. And so, you know, I also took a, a six day course through uh, the American Alpine Institute for intermediate alpinism. Um, and I did multi-pitch climbing there and crevasse rescue. And so then I came back and I just had this whole new appreciation for climbing. And I'm like, wow, like this is just opening up so many doors. Where really can it go? And so that's where I'm at. Right. And you said that you were adventurous growing up. Can you talk about that a little bit? Like what kind of stuff were you doing? Yeah. So I grew up in central California and I grew up in such a small town of, you know, a population of fewer than 200 people. And I was also homeschooled, but we lived in this area that was surrounded with 300, you know, 365 degree views of mountains. And so I was just able to go outside, um, you know, wander around and 
you know, nobody really, nobody really thought anything of it. You know, I was climbing trees, and at that point, I was, you know, climbing boulders, but you know, bouldering wasn't didn't even exist for me. Um, but so it just gave me that ability to do it at such a young age. And did you play any organized sports or anything like that? Um, you know, I was track. I I did high jump. Uh, for a while until I, I stopped growing and <laughs> uh, I, was, I was pretty short. <laughs> um, you know, I did swimming for a, for a bit. I think I think those were really the two main sports that I really took up to. But, you know, in school we did soccer and, and you know, softball and just you name it. I was, right. I was into right. it. You mentioned that you were short. I always love talking to short athletes because... I don't know. I, you know, like my vision of an athlete is tall and you know, <laughs> mostly tall. Exactly. No, that's that's not me. <laughs> me neither. <laughs> that's fun. Um, so, okay, so you're you're 100 percent involved in climbing and mountaineering. You've made it your life. What did your life look like prior? You said you went to grad school, and what does it look like now? Like, what are your days like? Um, you know, my days are are a lot of planning. Um, you know, a lot of people just think of, you know, especially when they see people on, on Facebook and Instagram, they just think, wow, you know, they're, they're always outdoors, they're always doing something. Um, that's not really true. <laughs> um, I, I do a lot of planning because I discovered the world of grants. Um, and for me, it's such a great opportunity to really go places and do things that I would really not have the means financially to do it. And so a lot of my time is spent on researching and researching. And once I find, you know, grant opportunities, um, I start writing grants. You know, I, I did some grant writing um, in college. And so sometimes I'll spend months just, you know, fine tuning where I want to climb you know, is this a unique mountain? What makes it unique? Where is it located? Is it within my ability, but still a little outside of my comfort zone that I can use the skills that I've learned? Um, what makes the whole situation unique that I can get the grant in the first place? Um, and then I make very specific grants to very specific organizations. And that takes up a lot of time. And even if I'm not applying for grants, just, um, just figuring out where I want to climb, um, either rock or snow, it takes so much time because I have to find out, well, is this the right season? What's the route? What's the beta? And it, it takes a lot of effort. You're, you're talking about months of planning before you even go out and climb. So that's the bulk of, of what my time is spent doing these adventures. That sounds a lot less glamorous than <laughs> hiking really, up a big peak. It really isn't that glamorous. <laughs> Do you have a, like a day job? Yeah, I do. My position actually is remote, so it gives me a lot of time to kind of uh, do these these research on the side, which is which is great and um, has a lot of flexibility too. So, you know, these climbs are so um, dependent on weather, and so there's a lot of times that I can just say like, hey, you know what? The next few days it looks it looks really nice, and you know. Tell, tell my boss like, hey, I'm just gonna, you know, make up some work on the weekend or or um, put in some more hours on this day and take this day off to go climb. So it really, it really helps out. Yeah. So as I mentioned in the introduction, just a couple of months ago, you won a McNeil Not Award. You know, like, let's use that award to talk about planning and preparing for a big trip. You know, like, how are you picking yeah. your team? You know, like, how do you lead? Like, what, what's going on right now for that? Yeah, so I'd actually um, just back up just a little bit. Um, my first grant was actually through the Mazamas, the Monty Smith grant. And that was last year, I got the grant to fully fund an expedition to climb Pico de Orizaba in Mexico. And I'm not gonna lie, that was, that was pretty stressful. It took me a full year to do the planning and write up the grant. Um, I spoke to, there's an organization in Mexico called Servamont that they do guiding and transportation and um, they have a great climb, uh, climbers hostel. And I used part of their service. I didn't use their guiding, but I used uh, part of their like transportation and, um, you know, lodging services. And so, you know, for me, um, I got this grant, I got the money, 
And I I needed to negotiate the pricing because I'm like, I, I'm on a very strict budget. What can we what can we get rid of? What can I add? And so, you know, talking with them, they're great, but that that took a long time. And then once I decided, okay, when am I gonna when am I gonna do this? Um, how many people are gonna be on the team? And then just the logistics and the beta of the climb. I'm not kidding. It took a full year to plan it. And so now, you know, I, I decided, yeah, we're going to do this climb in December. And, you know, the, the, the time started, you know, approaching pretty fast. And I originally had five people on my team. Um, I ended up kicking one person off of my team. No kidding. I, I did. Yeah, I did. I felt, I felt really bad, but I think I made the ultimate choice, uh, a great choice, because I just didn't think she was ready for it. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit more, because I think, you know, a team is so important, and and particularly in the kind of, you know, expeditions that you're doing, a weak link can be really problematic. Yeah, so, um, oh, so what happened is I I ran into her at one of our local um, gear shops, and I was I was discussing with her the the elevation. The climb itself wasn't very technical, but Pico de Orizaba it's um, it's eighteen thousand five hundred feet almost, and so you know altitude comes into play. And she took it very lightly, and I remember her her making a comment of, you know, oh, I'll just take some ibuprofen, we'll be fine. And you know I was just kind of you know hinting to her like, hey, like it's. You know, there's more to that. You know, it's it's a safety thing too, and she just she just wasn't really comprehending um, how high it was and how detrimental it really can be. And so I decided I decided, you know what, um, you're you're not on the team anymore. <laughs> was that hard? It, it was hard. I had been procrastinating for a while. Um, she did not take it very well, um, and somebody else on my team dropped out because I told him, you know, if anybody on our team has to turn around, we're turning around as a group. That's just, that's just what you do. And he had an issue with that. And so he, um, he politely, you know, dropped out of the, out, out of our team, which was, which was fine. And what ended up happening is I asked somebody who I did Rainier with, he's from Montana, and I asked him and it worked out perfectly because he's a physician's assistant and he was able to get a lot of medications, nice. Diamox, um, anti-nausea meds, and a steroid for um, pulmonary edema. And so I ended up needing all of it on the climb. I got so sick from the altitude that I ended up needing all of it. And I did get pulmonary edema at the very end. And wow. he had he had his bag of meds ready. <laughs> And so he was of value to the team, and I'll definitely remember that for choosing teams in the future. Mm -hmm. I think that the whole team aspect is really interesting in climbing. It sounds like you've thought a lot about that. Yeah, you know, I've climbed so much with the Mazamas, and I've climbed with so many different leaders and so many um, just different individuals and groups that I've realized what works and what doesn't work. And I picked people specifically on their strengths and I also picked them on their personality because you know when you are stuck with people day in day out you see them every second of the day (laughs) you really want people you really want your team to to mesh well because if it doesn't it's just you know climbing is already a suffer fest and if you don't like the people you're you're around it's just going to make it that much worse right right and as the leader, are you the one totally in charge of picking the team and making sure that it sticks together? And, you know, is that one of your major roles? Yeah, my my role was everything. I did the logistics. Um, I paid for everything. I, I made sure I, I got our tickets. Um, I I planned every little detail of of the expedition. And so once we're done with the climb, we're back at the climbers hostel there's just this huge relief that that I had because I just felt so responsible for everybody's safety and just um, responsible for making it to the summit, even though it's not really required. You know, the, the summit is kind of 
like it's the journey and then the summit's just like the icing on the cake because you want to make sure that everybody gets up and down safely regardless of whether they summited but having this grant having this money and these people like wanting to know the climb just made me feel anxious that we needed to make it to the summit everybody needs to be safe and i just um it, it took a lot it, it took a lot out of me is there any way to reduce that stress or is that just part of the game um, for me, I think it's part of my personality. Uh, and I also think the more I do it, the more, um, the more comfortable I'll be with planning, um, like this next climb that I have that I'm leading. It's, um, it already feels a little less stressful because I know the details. And I know what's expected of me. You mentioned altitude and you mentioned that you had trouble with altitude. Not everyone reacts the same to altitude. Are there ways that you're preparing for the next trip or do you just sort of acknowledge that that's your thing? Yeah, that's that's something actually very interesting that I'm still I'm still doing research on. So for me, what I found out is um, more cardio, more more cardio exercise to really help improve your your lung capacity. Um, so long I've been just focused on like building strength of my legs and not really focusing on the cardio. So for me in my training, that's something that has definitely changed. Um, and another thing is just taking even just an extra day or two to acclimate makes just a world of difference. And it, it really helps with acclimating properly. Cool. What other training are you doing? Physical training? Um, for me, I, I do a lot of running stairs. I don't really like to focus specifically on training. Like I, I already work out a lot, but if I, if I focus too much on it, then I'll start to hate it. <laughs> so really what I do is I just, I just get out and climb. Right. Um, that's the best way because, you know, running up and down stairs isn't the same as having a really heavy pack on with heavy boots and climbing. So for me, I just, I'm just watching the weather and just getting out and climbing as much as I can. Nice. So this next trip that will be supported by the McNeil Not Award, what's happening with that? What kind of preparations are you doing with that? And how are you gathering your team? Yeah, so that, that, that one's a ways off. Um, it's not until July of 2020. Oh, okay. So I've kind of been, um, I've kind of just been sitting on it for a, for a while. I had to negotiate with them because usually when you apply for grants, they like you to um, do the trip within a year of the application. And so they had anticipated me doing it this year, but I have um, a climb in the Republic of Georgia in June and I'm like, you know what, my job's not going to allow me to take off that much time from work. And so I, I really pleaded with them, like, hey, can you please let me do it in 2020? And so that's that's where that one's sitting at. And that one, we're going to do three peaks in Mongolia. I have one of my team members picked out. I haven't really um, fleshed out the rest of the group yet and haven't dialed in the details, but it's, it's something that I'm just kind of slowly gathering beta and, you know, storing it in a file to, right. to use when the time's right. Yeah. And what about this trip to Georgia? Yeah. So this one has me on edge a little bit. <laughs> um, I have two climbs in Georgia, uh, Mount Kazbek and Tetnoldi. And I'm, I'm climbing with somebody I've never met before you know he invited me on this climb and we we talked over the, the logistics and the details and i thought you know what he seems seems like a really solid person to climb he's um climbed them both a few times unsuccessfully to the summit and so he knows he knows the logistics once we're there but i'll be there for 20 days and it's it's coming up fast it's in june of this year and so it's one of those things that, you know, I'm, I'm kind of going a little blind on this. I know I know a little bit of what to expect of the climbs, but not much else. <laughs> so I'm, I'm anxious, excited, nervous. <laughs> It'll be great, though. You've sort of hinted at various times about fear of heights and other fears. Can you talk about how you relate 
to fear and mountaineering and climbing. And in particular, I, I'm interested in hearing about, you know, what it's like to not get the peak and sort of, you know, what your approach to that is. Yeah, so I think I'm, I'm a little bit more um, cautious in climbing than most people. And I'm not sure if that's just because I, I got into the game later in life, but I always do have this anxious feeling. And so for me, what really helps is taking more advanced courses. The more I know, then the more I could, um, the more safety is involved. And I'm not relying on somebody else to make those um, those tough decisions or those safety decisions. And just the more the more time I have actually doing something, the more I feel at ease with the exposure. Like, oh, you know what? I, I've done this before. I did I did a climb just like this, and you know I I did fine with that exposure. So this you know this climb's not going to be as bad. And it's just getting um, just getting used to it. It's it's really about safety. If I don't make it to the top, um, there's a little bit of um, discour- you know feeling of discouragement. But really, I've been turned around on so many mountains so many times that. It doesn't phase me anymore. <laughs> I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if I have really horrible luck with the weather or what. But like Mount Hood, I've been turned around so many times um, for a number of reasons. And I know people who just their first try gone up Hood, summited. And for me, I'm like, wow, what's what's your secret? I've, I've been trying for years and I just keep getting turned around. And I finally did it a couple days ago, the sunshine route. But yeah, I when I don't reach the summit, it's just eh, all right. I guess I guess I'll just have to come back and try it again. <laughs> <laughs> and you and you mentioned the guy on one of your trips who dropped out because of your approach to that. Have you found that your approach is really different from other people? I mean, do you run into sort of, I don't know resistance to your way? Uh, no, not really. Um, it just, it depends on your partners. And like I said, I really like to carefully pick my partners. You, you make a plan before you leave. Like, hey, you know what? If the weather's not looking great or if someone feels sick or someone gets injured, like um, you make those decisions before you leave. And so when it happens and the, the, the situation's already stressful, you don't have to put that added stress on making those decisions. It was already made for you when you left. So it's like, okay, you know what, you know, the altitude's hitting me or for me on Mount Hood, it's the fumaroles. I get really um, nauseous from the smell of the sulfur. And so I let people know that in advance. And so it's always in the back of our mind. So if we do have to make that decision to turn around, um, nobody should be surprised by it. Right. That's interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting. And in terms of your fear of heights, you know, is that lessening a little bit? Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely lessened. I, I was so scared of heights that I, you know, I would have to stand, you know, about 30 feet back from a cliff because I was just too, too anxious of like falling over it or, or just, I, I don't know what it was, but it was so deeply ingrained in me. But when I started, the more I started uh, rock climbing, um, and you know you're you're climbing and then you're rappelling off off a cliff, and just the more I, I did that, the more I thought, you know what, like this isn't bad. I know what I'm doing. I know you know I'm I know I'm putting in these um, safety precautions to make myself safe and these redundancies, and so I've I've come such a long way. I've, I'm now doing trad climbing. And it's, you know, I'm putting in these pieces as I'm climbing and I'm relying on the pieces of gear that I am placing for my own safety. So if you asked me if I was going to do that maybe like four years ago, I would say, oh, heck no. Like that's no, I'm, I'm going to be here on the ground within my comfort level. Right. right. That's so interesting. Um, have you ever really been in danger? Um, you know, that's that's kind of an... That's kind of a hard thing to answer. There's always an element of danger to everything, um, especially in climbing, uh, more so for mountaineering because you're really reliant on your own balance and your own comfort of self-arresting. Um, and so 
I would probably say yes and yes and no. When I first started, um, I, well, I felt like everything was was dangerous and I was going to die at any moment. But the more I got comfortable, the more I, I took skills and knew what I was doing, that that um, the fear kind of dissipated. But you know, there's 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 always some element to danger. And for me, I like to I like to make a rule that. Um, if I start seeing red flags and I start, you know, I start adding them up for me, that's, that's, um, that's a sign to turn around to, so that you're not in that situation that you really are in danger and that there may not be a way to come back from that. Can you talk about that a little more? Like, what do you mean? Yeah. So, um, I went on a climb of three finger Jack in Oregon and I, I personally don't do well with very steep scree. Um, you know, having that loose rock under your feet and, you know, you're putting out your hand to touch a rock to, to balance yourself and that rock just crumbles beneath your hand. That I just, I hate it. I don't enjoy it. And there's a lot of climbs in Oregon that's like that. And so we're climbing and, you know, I had borrowed a backpack from somebody and I, and the backpack wasn't cinched properly. And so it just was swaying on my back and it was it was creating me to lose my balance and I had no idea why I was just un, like unsure of my footing and just off. I was just I was off and I didn't know why. And so that was the approach and we get closer to the actual climb. And you know, we didn't really have the correct beta. And so we were placing more protection, which was eating up more time. And by the time we really started into the climb, we decided to leave our backpacks behind, which had all of our food, all of our water. And, you know, the hours were racking up and it was this really hot day. And I'm just sitting here I'm like, you know what? It just it doesn't feel right. Um, my balance isn't there. And this climb has a lot of exposure, unprotected exposure. And I didn't feel right about that. I didn't feel right that by the time we went to the summit, we would have already been, you know, climbing for hours without food and water. Then we have to retrace our steps and we didn't have great beta. And so I'm just sitting there like counting on my fingers like, you know what? There's too many red flags for me. I'm going to call it. So I sat back and I told the team, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to wait here. You guys can climb. And so they they left. They made it um, less than halfway and they decided, you know what, they, they ran out of rope. They, they didn't really know the route and a couple other people were feeling a little sketched out about it. And so um, they decided to turn around as well. Um, so it's those type of those type of um, things that for me, I really like to pay attention to because those are just those are warning signs. Those are warning signs that, you know what, just take a step back, look, look at what's happening. And, you know, what, it's you can always come back another another time. It's not worth it. Right. Climbing, you're dealing with crevasses, um, avalanche. Uh, you're you're dealing with with so many things. Like maybe maybe you're climbing something steep, and the snow is um, it's too icy, it's too compact, and so if you slipped, you wouldn't you wouldn't really be able to self-arrest. Um, or you know, it's the little things. Like you know what, maybe maybe you break an ankle, and you're out in the middle of nowhere. Um, like does, does your partner know what to do? Like, do you have a plan? Um, do you have some sort of device that can call out for help? These things are all always constantly on my mind. Right. So a lot of, a lot of these adventures that you're doing and the trips that you're planning are, you know, like really epic and as you said, require a lot of work to get there. But at the same time, you really like being outside. So how are you balancing, you know, the need for all this planning and wanting to do these sort of bigger adventures with just wanting to, you know, go for a hike or something like that? Yeah, that's something I'm, I'm still, I'm still figuring out, I still kind of struggle with. So before I I really started even getting into um, bigger climbs and international climbs, I was just going out, you know, out in my backyard, basically going on these hikes and going to waterfalls, these very simple um, outdoor activities. But the more I started discovering, oh, wow, like all of these harder climbs and these international climbs, I really started to focus on just that. And it was a little taxing because when it's winter or when the weather's 
poor or there's some reason for me to not get outdoors and have that, you know, quote unquote, epic adventure, it was really weighing me down. And I thought, you know, everything I do has to be epic. And that's so not true. There's there's times that I've just gone on a simple hike with friends and we had an amazing time, but I do have to be conscious of it and really focus on the fact that getting out in nature is so therapeutic. It doesn't matter what it is that I'm doing. Um, I, I just really have to remember that. And just once I do it, it all comes back and like, wow, just, you know, the trees, just like I, I'm two miles from my house, but this is great. I feel amazing. I don't have to go international. I don't have to go out of state or or climb these really high mountains to have fun. There's adventure literally all around me. Well, you've been really open in your writing, and we've also talked about it uh, via email, that you're often the only woman of color on trips and in classes and workshops and in outdoor activities. How do you address <laughs> that issue? You know, um, I... I actually haven't had too many issues with the current organization. You know, the Mazamas is, is so um, inclusive and they're just so welcoming. And so in my own community, in my own climbing community, I never really have that issue. Sometimes the biggest issue I have is sometimes I don't know if it's a combination of being a woman and being petite and being black. <laughs> I'm not sure if it's sometimes those combinations or all three of those combinations. Um, but I have in other organizations and with uh, climbing with other people, I do have the sense that um, they, they can work against me. And I think just because of my stature, you know, I'm five foot two and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm pretty small and I'm female that a lot of people just, um, they don't take my advice or my concerns very seriously. And they'll just kind of literally talk over me to the next person. Right. And so I've, I've always wondered if it was just um, combinations or all three, which they have, um, I, I have had to deal with them in backcountry quite a bit. Um, luckily, I can get pretty vocal <laughs> if I have to be. <laughs> so I've I've learned to I've learned to stand up for myself and to really express my opinions when it when it matters. And I also think for me, what really helps is when I when I come across people that don't know me, I I, I almost have to name drop the mountains I've climbed. Because otherwise, they'll just see me as, oh, you know, this this black female. She, you know, she doesn't really know what she's talking about, or you know, she's she's she probably knew. She doesn't know what she's doing. And so there's a lot of times I've just had to come into a group and just start saying, oh yeah, the time I led a trip to Pico de Orizaba, and you know, the, <laughs> the, like I'll just have to say that right off the bat. And so yeah, wow, I can I can literally see their expression go from. Like, oh, I don't, I don't really want to talk to her because, you know, she's, she's probably a newbie to like, whoa, like, oh, tell me more. What's what's next? You know, what are you doing next? And um, <laughs> that that seems to be my way of handling situations and um, just also telling people like, oh, when I took this course, this is what I did and this is how I learned this. And um, I've definitely had a better, more positive response from people. Right. Interesting. Uh, I, I don't know how long ago this class was, but I recently read one of your articles about being in a women's only class and your experience yeah. with that was really fascinating. Yeah, that was uh, last year. And I did a two day clinic with She Moves Mountains. Um, and I just I absolutely adore that organization. It was um, most of the courses I take. There's not very many, you know, there's not very many women um, with the exception of my most recent class, which was advanced rock climbing, focusing on trad, they made it a point to have um, an equal number of men and women, which is was phenomenal. But before that, a lot of these classes are very men dominated. And so um, when I took that class, it was just 
it felt like there was this, this burden that was lifted. You know, we were all able to ask those, you know, quote unquote, stupid questions without feeling judged or without feeling petty. Um, and we felt that our our voices were really heard and we were able to learn at our own pace um, and not feel like it's a competition of any sort. So, yeah, I, I really love that there's an organization that um, that's out there that focuses on giving women the space to learn and the space to just um, be themselves while taking on um, a really incredible sport. Yeah, that's, that's cool. From that experience with She Moves Mountains and also being in the mountaineering slash climbing world for the last several years, have you seen ways for other organizations and companies to improve what they're doing in media or maybe in how they're supporting athletes? Ooh, um, you know, I, I think just just looking for, for diversity in outdoor sports. I, I won't speak for everybody, but I think for um, some organizations, it's very easy to focus on people who are already well-known um, because that's what's going to help either maybe sell their products or get people to um, recognize or just get people to follow along on these really, really epic adventures. But what I love about Melanin Base Camp is that it is a platform to show the world that, hey, you know, there's a ton of, you know, people of color doing amazing sports. You know, you just you just got to open your eyes. You just you just got to see it. Um, and so I think for companies just to, just to maybe look a little harder, like it's not it's not really hard to find us out there um, and not stick with the status quo. Um, also, I, I think that sometimes people are just a little bit hesitant because when you go into a sport and there's not a lot of diversity, it's not it's not really the most welcoming thing to walk into. And so I do know there's there's organizations locally that are putting together like climb nights for people of color um, um, and LGBTQ. Like I, I love that there's more organizations because it gives people the space to come together and then really real like find out if that's their sport and then they can go from there. Trying something in the safe space. Right, right. And then they can go from there. There's just going to be more people out there that um, that can be recognized and these companies can just um, really do more and they could they can find these athletes and really either sponsor them or support them or, you know, whatever. But you'll have more diversity, you know, in the scheme of things. As a shorter person, are you having trouble finding gear? Oh, yes. <laughs> um, I, um, yeah, so for me, um, backpacks were really, were really hard. Backpacks and harnesses were really hard. When I first started um, and I took my basic climbing education program, um, I really, really wish somebody told me, hey, pay attention to the gear you get because I had to repurchase so much gear because I find out a year later that it's way too big for me. Um, It's not cinching up as tight as it should be, which is kind of a safety issue at this point. So I've had to repurchase harnesses that actually fit me. Um, Wait, 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 so you mean you bought a harness (laughs) with advice from somebody at the shop and it was too big? Well, well, you know what? So I bought a harness. Um, it was it was an extra small, and I'm like, oh, extra small. Of course, it will fit me. But I, what I didn't realize is that all harnesses are not created equal, and so you really have to look at the measurements. Uh, and so I found out that my current harness is a size is a small, but it fits me sm- tight enough than my extra small harness did. <laughs> And so for a year, I've been going around with this harness that was too big on me. It didn't cinch up all the way. Um, I'm belaying somebody and my hands are like near my face because it's just it's just too huge. And same with backpacks. You know, you really have to look at the measurements because um, perhaps a one size fits all backpack just really does not fit all. You know, I've had backpacks sit too low on my hips. And, you know, I did Rainier. With, um, this could just be also the weight too. It was a 65 pound uh, backpack on Rainier, and it just sat too low on my hips. And I have permanent 
bruise marks on my hips because it just dug in and it was so uncomfortable. And so now I, I really focus on the sizings. I'm like, okay, like, is it going to, and I, and I, and I test them out too. I put a ton of weight in them and I cinch it up as high as it can go because it really, it, it really needs to sit at a certain, um, you know, a certain way on my body and it needs to fit small enough for me to really, um, to really be comfortable and use it properly. Right. I mean, that goes back also to your interest in learning as much as you can so that you're the one that can decide on, you know, is it properly fit? Exactly. It's, um, you know, this whole, this whole sport is just, um, it's a learning curve for me. There's so much I wish people would have told me. Um, there's so many things that I just had to learn the hard way. Um, and so I love passing on that information to other people and tell them like, hey, you know, uh, this is what I learned and I wish somebody told me this sooner. <laughs> but it's kind of the, the name of the game. How are you passing on that information through writing and do you mentor anyone? Um, you know what? I've actually had a couple people ask me um, to mentor them and I and I told them like, absolutely, like I would love to. And it hasn't happened yet, but I'm hoping um, sometime this year. But you know, every time I'm in a group, and I, I really don't like to just give unwanted advice. Uh, people have done it to me, and I don't really, I don't really love it all that much. Depends on, <laughs> depends on what the advice is and who it's coming from. So I kind of, um, I kind of make sure that it's the right moment, and if they're really looking for the advice or really open to it, and I'll just tell them like little tidbits and secrets that like oh my gosh as a as a female this made my life so much easier and so I just I pass it on and I just I I, I love doing it because if I can prevent somebody else from suffering <laughs> I think that's great what, what are your long-term goals you know what I have no idea um I I like to keep it that way because um, so many things change so drastically. And when I, when I try to focus on a very specific path or goal and it doesn't quite happen, I, I am susceptible to get pretty disappointed and just, um, I feel like all of my efforts were, were wasted. And so I feel like there's so many opportunities that have come to me in the past couple of years that it's definitely leading me somewhere. I'm not really sure where that is, and I'm not I'm not trying to focus on it. I'm just trying to focus on um, getting the skills to do more. But um, I do know, you know, life can you know throw you a curveball, and so I'm just taking being open about things and just going with the flow. And what skills are you working to working on right now? Um, right now, um, like I said, I'm, I'm learning trad skills, um, which is great. I'm, 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 um, I consider myself a pretty good climber, but mentally, um, it, it hasn't caught up yet. And so trad climbing is very mental for me, which is why I'm glad I'm taking this class, but it, it'll open up a lot more climbs. I'll be able to do a lot more alpine climbs um, and lead them myself, which will be which will be great. I also got a grant to do part two of a leadership program through American Alpine Institute, which that's coming up in September. So I feel like the courses that I've already taken will really supplement that very well. So I don't know. I mean, it's going down the path of becoming um, a guide one day. I'm not sure if that's really what I want to do, but. I'm, I'm definitely keeping my options open. Right. We didn't talk at all about photography. Are you, do you take classes in that and sort of perfect your skill in <laughs> photography? Um, no, I actually, it's been one of those things that's been on my bucket list for years um, to actually take a class. I'm really more self-taught. <laughs> um, I, I bring my huge camera and tripod on a lot of trips, which adds a lot of weight to it. But really, when you're when you're out in the mountains and you have a great sunset or sunrise, there's really not much um, not much I need to do to make it turn out well. So that definitely goes in my favor. But I do love bringing my gear and, and um, fine tuning my skills as, as much as I can to really capture those moments, but it, it really doesn't take much to get a really great shot in, in the backcountry. 
I love that you carry your camera. I think that's funny. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's so much weight for for <laughs> I, I've downsized. I downsized a little bit, um, but I had between my my tripod and my heavy duty professional camera, that was an added. 10 to 12 pounds Wow, um, that I was lugging. And usually I was lugging that around my neck. Um, and so I, I, over time I figured, you know what, this, this just isn't great, especially for someone who wants to do um, light and fast climbs. So I've downsized a little bit, depending on where I am, I might be willing to, um, to withstand that, that pain for a little bit to get those really great shots. But, um, yeah, it, it has to, it depends on the climb. <laughs> right. What, what camera are you climbing with now? Um, I used to climb with an Nikon 7200 camera. Now I believe it's a Sony 6000A, which is a lot less heavy. Um, and I have a clip um, peak design clip that I have on my shoulder strap that I clip it to so I have really easy access. So, you know, if I'm on steep terrain, but I really, really need to get that shot, it's really easy and I don't have to go digging in my bag for it um, and, you know, causing a, a safety issue. Fun. That's great. I love it. Uh, is there anything else that we haven't talked about? Any climbs that you wanted to talk about or anything? Um. There's um, there's a couple climbs that might come up next year. Um, it's kind of on the on the hush and hush because I, I, with the nature of climbing, I have no idea if it'll happen or not. But for the sake of disclosing it, um, there could be Everest and Denali in my future. How far? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, fingers crossed. Um, I, I won't be disappointed if it doesn't happen. Um, but I'm. I am very honored that I was invited to be on these climbs because it makes me feel that people are um, looking at my ability, which I really appreciate. So we'll see. We'll see if it happens. Um, I'll be delighted if it does. But yeah, that's a real notch just to get asked. Yeah. I think that's great. I thought so. It was it was out of the blue um, with people I I don't know. Um, and so they, they sought me out and so it's in, it's in the process. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Right. What are your thoughts about Everest with all the crowding and things like that? Or does that matter to you? Yeah. So, um, Everest would not have been on my list to climb, like not, not by a long shot. There's just so many other mountains. It, you know, as far as an 8,000 meter peak, um, it's um, over 8,000 meter peak. It's really impressive, but you know, the overcrowding and the trash, the littering and the fact that, you know, people are doing Everest and they've never climbed a mountain in their life. Right. It's a, it's, it's a little odd. It's, um, it's not as satisfying to me, but you know, it's, it's, this is one of those things that I was asked to be a part of this group. And so I, I'm not going to say no to it. Yeah, I'm certainly not <laughs> suggesting that. <laughs> right. That's so fun. Um, I guess I'm still interested to hear, you know, like what the attraction of climbing it is for you and also what you've gained from climbing. And when I say climbing, I don't just mean the actual like getting up the mountain. But as you discussed, there's so much planning and other, other things that are involved. So sort of the big picture. I, I kind of kind of ask myself this all the time, and I think about it a lot. One of the main things I really love is that there's it's that type two fun, and you know you're you're really not really enjoying life when you're when you're sledging up these mountains. You know your your pack's heavy, your feet hurt, your your legs hurt, you're cold. But shockingly, that's what's real. That's what really attracts me to it is that you you have ample amount of time to be in your head and it's really um it's it's for me it's almost like meditation you're in the here and now you're not thinking about anything else or at least i don't i try not to i try not to think of you know pizza and a beer at the bottom because you really do need your your concentration but it's just this you know it's the solitude it's you're in your head and it's 
it's forcing yourself to do something that you really either didn't think you can, you didn't think you had it in you. And when everything's said and done and the climb's over, you just look at the mountain and you're like, wow, like I did that. It was painful and horrible and I thought I was going to die, but I did it. Having the ability to put yourself in a situation that you didn't think you could do, you, you didn't think you were strong enough, but in the end, you're, you're so much stronger than you think. Um, and then when you're, when you're back down, I have like such appreciation for the little things like, wow, my hands aren't cold. You know, I'm sitting in my house and I have this, these luxury items that I can just go to the refrigerator. And it's just, it brings me back to being very grateful and very humble for everything. And that's just what I absolutely love about climbing. Well, that's a totally perfect way to end up. So Rebecca, thank you so much for being here and for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much for having me. A big thank you to Rebecca Ross for sharing her climbing stories and thanks to you for listening. Here Her Sports is focused on increasing listenership in 2019. So please tell your friends about the podcast or about one interesting little tidbit you learned to get them excited. Every week I learn something wonderful talking to these great athletes. So I hope you do as well. Please subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, subscribe to the Hear Her Sports newsletter, or donate on hearhersports.com. Our theme music is by the band Goldmines, our logo by Agnes Studio. And keep listening. I'll be back in two weeks. Sports stars. They're like superheroes. But they're actually real. Which is why we've made a podcast about them. You see... They've all got a story. But too many of these stories were cut short. Kobe Bryant. Payne Stewart. Flo Jo. Phil Hughes. Justin Fashionew. We're writing episodes about all of them. And sadly, many more. Death of a Sports Star. A new series from Crowd Network.